0: In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwin.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Hulakwin. I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310 555 wanted to start off the show today talking about um, what has been observed as a rise in hate crimes and violence against Asian Americans here in the United States over the past year and some more notable cases that have been in the news lately, uh, specifically in in the Bay Area, the San Francisco area, um, which is quite alarming. Now, the statistics, I, I was trying to find some from the, for example, FBI, they don't release them yet for the year 2020. But there are some other studies and people who are observing the statistics, and there does seem to be a huge rise. I won't give specific numbers because I saw different numbers, but we do see uh, a significant rise in the hate crimes against Asian Americans, and people feel this is fairly clearly a response or reaction, might be more of a better word, to the coronavirus, the COVID virus, how it's been talked about um, and what it's led to people to feel about Asians or Asian Americans. I actually am reminded of after September 11th here in in the United States, how people um, felt about Middle Eastern individuals and feeling that because there was this attack and people felt, of course, hurt and scared and angry, There was a rise in hate crimes against Middle Eastern individuals. And actually what we see is obviously not just, it's not about actual dissent or there's nothing real about it. It's really about people's perception. So even individuals from India, which is not part of the Middle East, or Sikhs or other people who are not actually Muslim or Middle Eastern specifically, were also attacked in response to September 11th. Um, Feeling that we were attacked and that anger and how we respond to that anger, something I'll also touch on later on. So this is really concerning to see this uh, significant rise in hate and hate crimes and violence. Oftentimes it's been against even elderly individuals and it's something we want to think about because if we don't think about it, it might happen or continue to happen because we're just acting based on reaction and feeling. So coronavirus has of course been a really horrible thing. It's taken millions of lives across the world and had huge impacts in other ways as well, from economic to educational, kids being home from school, social, uh, mental health has definitely uh, taken a big hit because of the coronavirus in various ways. So it has been a very bad thing, and yes, I know we try to look for silver linings and positive things, and there are many, and lots of ways to to find that, from uh, people reevaluating their lives and how they're living their lives, to people spending more times with their family and loved ones, having more time for that, to uh, other things where people learning how to make bread or take up different hobbies, but slowing down their lives in some way. So people have found silver linings, but it has been really overall bad thing we, we wouldn't wish this upon um, ourselves again we don't want it to happen again and so it hasn't been good and so people have been hurt and angry but also the way the virus has been talked about um, and it's not to pin it on specific individuals but talking about it as a china virus um, or in the even worse things like kung flu which was mentioned in a very derogative way um, these things, of course, contribute to directing our hate and our anger, to, turns into hate, towards a specific group or specific individuals. And this is where we get into trouble. If we keep hearing that it's the China virus or China sent this, this is from China, we start to associate negative things about that group even without realizing it and this is where when we talk about things like racism and different types of prejudice that we might think well we're not really explicitly at times saying something or doing something little things subtle messages sometimes not so subtle but even the subtle ones they add up to affect how we feel about a certain group so even if i tell you for example people from cordovia are really bad people they're really mean people oh here's another study or another uh news report this cordovian man killed three people and ran away they're just such bad evil people these people from cordovia oh here's another report that people from cordovia actually are causing more problems in their cities than other people um and then you hear not just free from me from other people even if you've never met someone from cordovia If you now meet someone who is from Cordovia, who's a Cordovian, you're going to be like, whoa, I don't think I like this person. Now, Cordovia is a fictional place. I I, I didn't make it up. It's from um, this TV show I've been watching called BoJack Horseman, where there's this fake war-torn, impoverished area called Cordovia. But even though it's not a real place, just hearing me say it over and over, and if you heard it for, let's say, weeks and months and years, negative things about people from some area, when you now interact with them, you're going to have a negative feeling about them. That's how these things happen from a societal level and also family level. This is why as parents, it's so important how you talk about people. Your kids are going to internalize that, then feel those things about whatever groups or people you're talking about, or even that they should judge people in certain ways. They'll feel that. So if we keep hearing something in a negative way over and over again, it starts to affect us. We are creatures of habit, we've heard that before, but we're also creatures of association. Really all animals are, but humans we can do it on another level because of some of our mental capacities, that we associate certain things, you go to a certain place, you feel comfortable. You know, you say home is where the heart is, because when we think of home, and if you're in a space that feels like home, you feel comfortable, you associate that with a good feeling. You associate certain people with good feelings, some with bad feelings and so we make these associations often unconsciously you're not even aware of them I can just tell you the name of something or show you something and you have a feeling about it you might not be in touch with it but there's some feeling about it so if we keep hearing negative things about some group or some region that has caused damage we will associate those people as negative negative. and of course even we can say the China virus And people will also hate anyone who's Asian because to them it's all associated together. Now, maybe someone who is more aware of um, Asians and different uh, ethnicities within the Asian population might not do that same thing. But to others, they'll just see uh, all quote unquote Asians as one group and might be hating them or showing violence. I think one of the uh, cases I saw about it was a Vietnamese man that was attacked. So not even from China, but for that person who was acting with hate associating all asians together and associating asian with bad because it's caused this problem and so that's why they're taking out their anger on this person so we want to try to be more aware of our feelings and even i remember early on in the coronavirus i saw lots of of course different videos you still see them i remember seeing even some persian videos or videos in persian of like little kids and the parents were Um, encouraging them and the kids were saying negative things about China or Chinese people that sent us this virus and that they were so upset and the parents were laughing and people were sharing these messages and it might seem in some ways harmless or it's kind of funny, but we wanna be aware of what that message is sending. Those kids that are hearing these things are now gonna think of Chinese people, Asian people as bad people or that they did something bad or they intentionally wanted to hurt people when that's not the case. So looking at this issue of association, there's also this issue of justice or wanting things to feel fair. When we get hurt in some way, our reaction is to try to make it right or what feels like making it right, either stopping the thing, but even further to hurt back the person that did something to us. Even I think of Uh, I see this a lot with Persian parents, where if the kid bumps into the wall, they go hit the wall. Like as if the wall did something, but they're kind of saying like, look, see, I'm I'm mad at the wall that hurt you, and so I'm hitting this wall. Even though, of course, the only thing that's getting hurt is the parent's hand hitting the wall again, but they're in a way, they think they're showing to the kid that, look, we're we're mad at the wall that hurt you, Um, and so we're taking it out on them. And so we still do that. We have that feeling. When something happens, we want to find someone to blame. We want to find who is the culprit here? Who's the one that has hurt me? Who is the one that is making me feel this way? And I'm gonna stop them and also take it out on them. But a lot of times in life, there is really no one to blame. Actually, sometimes people blame God. It's raining and we curse the gods or God. Why did it rain today? I didn't want it to rain because I'm doing something outside because we're trying to find someone to blame. And that's actually a common one. Or we can blame individuals. Something happened we didn't like. Whose fault is it? But we have to accept sometimes that bad things happen in the world. And it doesn't necessarily mean there is a identifiable culprit or someone who did something wrong. There isn't necessarily someone for us to blame. We almost have a need or a desire for there to be justice in the world or what we think is fairness. So we want some kind of sense of, closure, justice, to make things feel all right. And when that's not there, it feels a little bit like something is missing until we get that. Even sometimes we see this with crimes, something happens and people find relief when someone gets arrested for that crime, even when sometimes proof starts to come out that actually that person probably did it because at least we have this sense of closure that there's a sense of justice something bad happened but someone is being punished for it and we caught the person that did the bad thing people can be very resistant to acknowledging and accepting that maybe this person didn't do it and actually of course it's so unjust to arrest someone to punish someone and use someone as a scapegoat just to give us a sense of comfort or a sense that things are now okay or all right in the world when they're not, if someone is innocently being punished, there's now an additional crime that now we are carrying out on that person. It's not making things more fair, it's making them more unfair. But this is part of the mental gymnastics that we do because we're trying to get to certain places that we feel good about. Okay, something bad happened, but we found the bad person there being punished. All is well in the world. We even have this sense of what they call a need for a just world, a psychological concept where we want things to feel fair. And this is why we can at times blame a victim. So if I tell you this person was attacked, it could be scary to think it was just random. Maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe, you know, I've done that same thing myself. But we say, oh, they were walking on the street at 1130 at night. Hmm. That's not really safe. They probably shouldn't have been out that late. And so, you know, I guess, you know, that's what happens if you're not careful. These things happen when all of us have been walking on the street that late and later. But now when we hear this story, because it makes us feel uneasy because we think, well, if the person did nothing wrong and something bad happened to them, that's a very scary thing because then I can't protect myself. Cause even if I do everything right, I still might get hurt or be the victim of some kind of violence or crime or aggression, and that could feel very scary. So there's a need to justify from both sides that we find the person that was wrong to punish someone, but also on the other side, blaming the victim at times to say, well, it must have been their fault somehow. And this is also what we've seen throughout history, and it still happens very strongly becoming less that when a woman is sexually assaulted very often it's like well what was she wearing used to be actually a very acceptable question to ask or uh, did she drink or did she do this somehow trying to find a justification for what happened to her rather than seeing that something wrong happened to her and that's not okay that should never be acceptable so coming back to this issue of the hate that is being uh, uh, laid out on the Asian American population and Asians in general. It's something we have to think about a bit. It's been in the news so much negative sense about China and Wuhan and this disease that's caused so much havoc on the world that it's likely affected all of our feelings about China and about um Uh, people from Asian descent, it has probably had an effect because we've seen so much of that in the media and we can't completely make it disappear, but we can try to be more conscious of it and be aware of that and even be aware of things like uh, jokes that we make or comments we make that might seem harmless. And I'm not trying to say we should never joke about anything, but we do have to be aware that there is an impact of the ways we think and talk about things and the things that we keep saying affecting the way we automatically feel about other people you know i even heard there's a organization that is trying to create uh, or or match you could volunteer to chaperone an elderly asian individual during this time so that they can feel more safe going around you know if they need to go somewhere do something because they're there's creating a lot of fear and anxiety when they see these images of uh, elderly asian individuals being pushed even killed when they've been pushed at times and things have happened to them it can create a fear. And so when I hear about an organization like this, at one hand, it's like, oh, that's that's so kind that they are thinking of this to create that and that people would volunteer to do that. That's a very showing the the good side of humanity and something really beautiful. But then, as is often the case for me, when you hear about a charity, it's heartbreaking to think that there's even a need for this, that there's a need to chaperone elderly Asian individuals so they don't feel afraid, one, and that, that they actually don't get attacked. The fact that that is a issue is sad. Just like if I, when we say there's an organization that might pay for cancer treatments for children whose families can't afford it, that's so nice that they're doing that in kind and wonderful, but then it's so sad that we even have this issue that we're not already taking care of children and families who are dealing with a health issue. That that has to even be taken care of. So it was heartbreaking uh, on one end as long, uh, also while it was positive to hear that people want to help and are thinking of that but that this is the issue but something we want to be aware of how much do I contribute to this it's not just things that are happening on the outside and something just to be aware of you might see it around you uh, in more acute ways of actual aggression or violence of course to anyone that's not okay but we're seeing this rise and it's just something we want to be mindful of all right let's go to a commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 we'll be right back welcome back let's go to a caller radio Hamra. you're on the air
2: hi there is it me talking to you yes hi thanks for calling hi thank you very much uh, for letting me sure. talk to you, um, I've got a question regarding my son. He's like um, three years and eleven months old now, mm-hmm. and um, what we have noticed is that he um, uh, always like mimics his friends. Like he has a high tendency to mimic them. Whatever they do, he does the same thing. Like they put the ball from here to there, he does the same thing. He raises their hands, he raises his hands. They make a noise, he makes the same noise. So he's mimicking his friends, like his friends, all the time. And we were wondering if this is a bad sign, good sign, something we should be worried about. I don't know. Hmm. And uh, something else that might be related to that, I don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, he's been to two daycare, like before pandemic and after pandemic. So in both cares, like his best friends have been kids who've been a little bit nutty, like uh, kids who didn't listen to um, the teachers very well or, you know, like sometimes maybe they bug other kids or something like that. He himself is not like that at all. Like, like here in this new daycare, the, the teacher says that when he's by himself, he's quite nice and he listens to them and they're very nice. But when uh, he's with like the other kid, he follows him. So if the kid is not listening to the teacher, he does not listen to the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, So we were wondering,
1: like, what do you think? Do you have any advice regarding that? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, um, of course, it's important to take these things seriously. We also want to not take them too seriously in the sense that we build them up. Oftentimes when I work with families, especially of young children, we care so much about them and we can be so vigilant of what they're doing that we can worry almost like too much about things that are happening. So I'm not saying these aren't issues to look at, but I want you to be aware of not making too much pressure on, on, on your child, but then also on you and his mother to uh, fix something because maybe nothing, nothing is so wrong yet. Uh, So what we want to look at here, a few things come to mind. Um, First of all, kids, they care about what other kids are doing. They get excited. They want to play and related to that. Does he have any siblings?
2: No, no, he's the only okay. child.
1: Yeah, so I mean even more all kids of course even if they do have siblings will enjoy their peers and be affected by them, but it could be even more he's not around kids ever and then when he is he's very affected and I'm 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 imagining him in my head the kind of like looking at these other kids with a big smile on his face like he's kind of intrigued or excited by what they're doing. Um and, and it could be the way you're saying that he's so himself not someone to break the rules. That when he sees them kind of through them, he gets the motivation or the inspiration to, to do something different or naughty, as you said, that he's not used to doing. So the first thought that came to my mind is how easy is it for him to do something that you or your wife don't like? How do you respond at home if he does something you don't
2: like? Um, actually, no. at home, he's, he's normally um, quite a good kid, like he is not, as you said, he's not somebody who breaks the rules or anything. Recently, re- like maybe in the last three, three weeks, maybe in the last two, three weeks, um, he, uh, sometimes, uh, when he's not happy, he throws things or sometimes he like, spits up like, like briefly, like he might do that. Um, or, yeah, he might throw things or mm-hmm. like beat us like very briefly. He might do that this this has started like in the last two three weeks mm-hmm. um what we do we try to control ourselves like um I mean sometimes of course you get frustrated and you might like shout at him or something like that like again in a very briefly, but uh we try to control ourselves we try um not to show a big reaction or anything or try to ask him later on like what happened, why did he do this, why did he do that? So uh, we try to be quite, um, yeah, quite Uh uh, nice and calm to him as much as possible. Okay, that's That's good. Yeah, yeah,
1: staying calm. I mean, you know, you mentioned shouting, and uh, it happens. I don't want to say it's definitely not something we want to do. We don't want to go to shouting. It, um, It doesn't help the situation. It just makes things worse, but sometimes parents can get frustrated. But I do want to encourage you to not go there because it's not going to help you or him, even if it makes him do what you want in the moment. It's going to be out of fear, which actually um, means he's afraid of you and not doing the right thing for the right reasons. But what I think is important is you also said, you know, he's a good kid, but to me, he's a good kid, even if he doesn't listen to you or his mom. And we want to make sure he can have that feeling too, that it's, he doesn't have to listen uh, to both of you, that he can disagree or share his opinion or do something differently. So I know a lot of times we have this mindset that good kids listen to their parents when they ask them to do something. And it's not that they should disobey them all the time, but we want to let them think for themselves. Because in a way, what we want him to do is think for himself also with his friends so he just doesn't do what they're doing because he might get so affected by them. You want him to think for himself. But we have to encourage that at home. Um, I'm not saying this is what you're doing, but I'll work with families of older kids and they'll say, I want my kid to stand up to his teacher. His teacher is being kind of rude and not good. And I want him to go tell the teacher, I don't like what you're saying or something like that. And then I'll ask the parent, well, can he say that to you at home? And they realize, no, he really can't stand up to me at home because I'll get really mad or I show him it's not okay. So we have to show him that it's okay for him to disagree, to wanna do things a different way. We can talk about it. It seems like you're trying to stay calm. That's good, but we even wanna encourage that, not just, okay, he's good when he listens to us and he's bad when he doesn't listen to us because that's sending him the wrong message. Um, We wanna make sure he doesn't get that type of a a feeling from you about what he is, is doing.
2: So, uh, yeah, yeah, ex- uh, that, that's true and exactly we, we try to encourage that kind of behavior too because we noticed uh, since the time, I don't I don't know how he's doing now exactly, but when he was younger, I, we, we noticed that like when kids took like his toys from him, he did not resist or he easily gave it to them. or mm-hmm. So, exactly, we encourage him to learn how to say no. We do that at home actually and we tell Good. him that it's okay to say no or like, if, we, if we, we tell you to do something, if you don't like it, say no, I don't like it. Or if kids are like bugging you, tell them stop, stop, or things like that. Actually, we encourage that behavior. Because okay, he has, good. he was, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that listening to us is a good thing, and uh, we, we try to encourage that. Like, uh, yeah, but uh, we don't know how, like, how should we do that? Like, uh, how else should we do that? Like, uh, do you have any other? suggestions well, like by he, as, as as i said like by himself he is not by himself he's too nice like that's another thing that worries us sometimes because by he, if he's not with those kids that i talk to you like he's too nice and mm. it doesn't resist too much he doesn't say no too much and we're t- trying to teach him to say no but then but his friends like two of i mean Friends, uh, one in the previous state care and one in this state care, are the naughty kids. So he's the opposite of those kids, actually. Mm-hmm. But he's finding. I mean, it, uh, I don't know. Is, is it an accident or is there is a reason that he finds had found those two friends? Like, so yeah. So what do you think about what, that? And how should we encourage saying no? And
1: yeah, I what, mean, what do you think? Yeah. So um, you know, and first of all, the, the naughty kids. Like, I, I do think I, I get it. There's kids that are acting up, but it is always it's kind of cute when we think of these four-year-olds, like, these really bad influences as if they're, like, running a mafia rink in the daycare. You know, they're probably just kind of being a little bit uh, playing and doing some things. So we don't want to make that too big, even the behavior of these kids. I wonder, like I said, if your son is so concerned about doing things right, you know, sometimes we are drawn to someone who is expressing something that we're having a hard time expressing ourselves. So they're kind of like acting out and excites them. Oh, I wish I was that way. You know, sometimes someone who is really quiet sees someone really loud and like, oh, it's so nice. They just say what's on their mind. They don't hold back. So it could be accidental, like he just started playing with them, or it could be that he's drawn to them because they're acting in a way that he would like to act. Um, And so going back to it's good that you tell him you can say, no, we want you to you can say that that's good to tell him. But even more important, especially with kids, then telling is showing. So it's how we react when he does say no or does something we don't like. Or even when you tell him later on, we ask him why I was going to bring this up before, you know, that kind of a why it's a tough question. What what can he answer to that? Why, Uh, you know, it, it puts him in a place and you're kind of judging the behavior. You know, he acted out maybe he's angry. He was upset. And that could be good to let him talk about that. But we want to be very careful that the way we ask him, why isn't judging his behavior? Like, why did you get angry? That was really bad. And we try to understand and help him understand his feelings. And, oh, you got upset. Yeah, we get upset sometimes. What do we want to do with that feeling is something different. But we don't want to give him the feeling that when he does that, it's something really wrong. So you have to be very aware of how you and your wife are responding when he does say no or does do something different not just that when he says we've told him that it's okay to say no Um, again I don't want to point this to you and your wife but with families I work with they'll say I tell my kid to be open you can tell me anything and then the kid says okay I tried cigarettes one time and the parent loses their mind and you know goes crazy and then the kid doesn't actually get the message I can tell you anything because when I did you got so angry that it doesn't make me feel like I can tell you you're telling me I can but you're not showing me so I want you to be very aware of that how are we responding when he does actually do something we don't like you're saying you stay calm and maybe you do uh, but more and more we want to make him feel comfortable and show him that it's not bad when he disagrees with us or doesn't do what we want him to do.
2: Okay, okay, sure. So it should we tell him... Uh should we tell him anything about, like, mimicking his friends, following them? Like, should we tell him don't follow them when they do bad things or any any reactions regarding that? Should we do anything or just... Well, overall,
1: you know, overall, we you know, look, we all get affected by the people around us. And again, this is where if you just tell him, it doesn't mean that he's not going to follow them tomorrow and when our friends do good things we, we are, we're influenced by them too and even what good and bad is is a little bit of a gray area you know they're playing and uh, you know what what is it that you're worried he's doing at school that's so bad
2: actually uh, we, no we are not worrying that he's doing something bad we just we just w- want to know what does this i mean at this moment i'm not worried about anything That like, i'm sure yeah. um, actually, I've heard from the teachers that sometimes when the the other kid does something bad, sometimes he doesn't do it like yeah he, he understands yeah. like sometimes he tells him like don't do this, this is not good I, he has done that too, so he understands what's good, what's bad, mm-hmm. and I'm not worried about him to become like a criminal or anything yeah. like that <laughs> but I'm just worried is this because of his lack of independence or is he feeling too dependent or is he feeling weak inside or that that's what makes me worried i'm 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 worrying about the other side of it mm-hmm. that he's too dependent or he doesn't have uh, self confidence or something like that that's
1: that
2: worries us more than more than more than they sure, like become the sure. or anything like
1: that. Yeah, and I'm glad you don't, you know, the way you said, like he's not going to be criminal. or You know, I work with parents sometimes and their kid bites and they worry, and I'm like, your kid's not going to turn into a vampire. Don't don't worry. You know, that's not how these things go. Kids bite, and that's one of the ways they show anger or aggression. Um, but, yeah, we, we want to pay attention to it. Now you're saying believing in himself or being weak in himself. The way we're going to help him with that is by, over time keep showing him that who he is and how he is is okay and that's what i was saying that even when he says no um we want to Uh, let him know that that's okay and so of course we give him messages that you're okay and you're good and even you asked me for what should we tell him but especially with his age it's good to verbalize it but you're gonna have to show him more than just tell him so you can tell him you're strong you can disagree you can disagree and that has an effect but a lot less than how you respond when he actually does those things and he might be more sensitive to other people um You know, everyone cares about other people's thoughts or feelings. Some people are more sensitive to it. They pick up on it more. Oh, they don't like this or they like this. And so he might get affected by them more. It could partially be a strength that he might be more aware of other people and could connect to them and understand them better. But yes, we don't want him to be losing himself completely because of that either, which I think is your concern. So I think what's important is that we let him make decisions and you probably are already doing that when it comes to things around the house or his own, especially his own thing. What are you going to wear? What does he want to eat? Are you guys giving him that space to make decisions on his own?
2: we we try yes we try to like we show him two clothes like two shirts to so say which one do you want do you want this one or do you want that one mm-hmm. uh, uh yeah yeah with the food we used to like if he didn't eat we used to try to encourage him to eat or something but now we try to like if he says i know i don't want to try just to stop and say okay that's fine if you don't want don't eat it all you know like all, yeah all, all first families like Get to eat right <laughs> yeah i know it's a
1: very common i mean in all families with persian families we, we, we put a big emphasis on it but and these are the things that are really important showing him that he can make his decision so as i was saying before we can tell him something but what's more important is what we show him if he disagrees with us how do we respond if he makes a decision and we're not sure if we like it we sometimes have to accept his decision even if we don't like it to give him that sense you know that it's okay what you think rather than no no what you're thinking is wrong because if we keep giving him that message even in a small way then he will doubt himself and he's around other kids and if they're stronger than him and how they voice something he'll just go along with what they are doing so we have to amplify his voice at home making it stronger and louder and okay for him to feel something different, think something different and don't make him feel bad. And that voice you'll carry with him into his outside world as well. So I'd be very mindful of how you're interacting with him. And I know you've asked me a few times, should I tell him this? Should I tell him? You can, but keep in mind, it doesn't change. If you tell him, don't follow those other kids, you know, even is that a good message? You're telling him those kids are bad or don't be friends with those kids. I wouldn't even put that into his mind about don't listen to those kids or listen to these kids so much um because he like that's my friend i have fun with them and you know there's rules of the daycare sit here do this and i understand they need to keep some order and boundaries are good but it's not like we're so worried as you said yourself of these rules being so important so i wouldn't want to emphasize so much those are bad kids and don't be friends with those kids or don't follow those kids um because the whole thing we're trying to teach him is not to not follow, it's more about following, or following bad, not to follow the bad kids, but to follow himself more. So I wouldn't even emphasize so much those kinds of things, but really get back to what he wants to do. And, and he's not doing it every time, as you said, the teachers are telling you. So it it's not necessarily something really bad. He sometimes does n- not want to do those things. But like I said before, he might actually want to sometimes break the rules, but doesn't know if he can, and then they do it, and it he's experimenting, you know, he's figuring things out. And so I wouldn't put too much of an emphasis uh, on that. And I think what's going to happen is more and more the way you strengthen his voice at home by showing him it matters and it's okay and we're not going to, you know, make you feel bad about it. He'll internalize that more strongly and carry that with him outside
2: as well. Okay. So it could be partially because, lack of, because of lack of self-confidence or... I mean, it it could could be, be,
1: I guess. I mean, I don't know at like, you know, his age. I wouldn't be, you know, labeling it so clearly as that. And if anything, you know, again, even with that, a lot of times parents think we're going to tell him he's so good. Tell him he's great, which is I wouldn't say don't say you should definitely give him lots of nice compliments and say things, but even more, it's how you show him. Okay, he wants to do that. All right, You want to do that? Oh, you like that? Great. What do you like about that? You know, you're showing him what he likes, what he feels is good, and being very aware. We sometimes aren't aware of so many Judgments we have about certain things do this, don't do this. This is kind of not good. So, I want to push him in this direction. And so, being a little bit more free with those things of letting him. And sometimes, even when we only have one kid, we might even put more pressure on them to be a certain way. It's kind of like they're our only chance to be whatever we think is good. And so we have to try to unlearn some of those things to give him his space. Yes, we teach him good things and good values, but being very aware of where are we pushing him and putting pressure on him to be a certain way and not be a certain way. And the more we make him feel good about who he is, rather than he'll feel good when he becomes a certain way, then he'll feel better about himself. So. He might just also be more sensitive. I wouldn't say he's necessarily has low self-esteem and we want to put that label on him. But if anything, it's not because of what you're telling me with any parent, I would say, make sure you're making your child feel good about being who they are, however they are and expressing that, you know, when they do something hurtful or harmful, we point that out to help them. So I'm not saying no boundaries or no rules, but really making them feel good about who they are. And that's how they get confidence. A lot of times parents put it the other way around. They think if I make my kid good, what I think is the right way to be, then they'll feel good about themselves. But it's more about making them feel good about who they are. And then they'll express that actually in the best way.
2: Right, thank you. Yeah, the other thing my wife wanted to tell you, like, is that, I mean, a continuation of the same thing, uh, like sometimes the teachers get surprised h- how heavily he mimics the other child. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, okay, I mean... Yeah, Parents, it's okay. not, not other kids don't do that really I, mean, I, I don't know I mean, I, you know, I mean, that, I mean it could be yeah
1: some level the only child could be part of it you know he's not around other kids he's just so excited to be around other kids and so he's kind of copying them and playing and I, I wouldn't again there's nothing we can just like you know you're the the teachers get concerned, they share that with you so you might feel this pressure, we have to get it out of him there's no pressure, I don't, you know, if the teachers are telling you something, you hear it, and you talk you know, you're with him, but don't put a pressure on him to change, especially somebody's parents feel this pressure of, how do I look in front of the teachers, oh, our kid is the most following kid, they're going to think we're bad parents that are making him a follower or whatever, you know, whatever goes through our minds and we put an extra pressure on ourselves but even more importantly on the kid to change when it's not good, it's not going to change tomorrow, you know, whatever you, there's no Um, pep talk or lecture you can tell him today that tomorrow he'll never follow a kid again which isn't even a good thing to begin with but just saying that it's not there's nothing you can do that's going to have such a big impact so just being aware that that's okay we're going to work with him see what's going on he's not even four years yet um, so we're not going to make him feel bad about anything and don't feel the pressure to immediately change him I think what's most important is to show him he can be himself and do whatever he wants rather than thinking we have to tell him don't follow those kids it doesn't it doesn't work and it just makes him feel bad when he wants to do it and even in some ways he of course he plays with the kids he has to follow them in some ways it's not a black and white thing and then he can start feeling bad about that too so i'll just be very aware of that we're not going to change it and don't feel like you need to and the teachers will tell you but don't let that kind of uh, embarrassment or whatever might be that comes up for you put a pressure on you and then especially put a pressure on him to change immediately okay
2: thank you very much sure and two other things that might be well let's to see this or might not okay <laughs> uh-huh.
1: let me we go I, I d- thought we were gonna wrap up but I since you have a few more questions sure. I don't want him to stop us we, we're past the commercial break I'm gonna put you on hold sure. we'll come back and talk after the break okay sure. Sure. all right thank you. we'll be right back welcome back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to him now caller are you still there hi, hi. Okay, so you said you had a few more. Uh, we were talking about your son, three years, 11 months old, and you said you had a few more um, issues related to what we're talking about. So I wanted to give you a chance to to share those. Go ahead.
2: Thanks a lot. Uh, so, yeah, the other thing is that I don't know if it's related to these things or not. Like, uh, So he wakes up like at night like three times, four times a night. Mm-hmm. and He calls us like we have to go to him. I don't know if that's related to these issues, is it important or is it not? And um, well, kids
1: can wake up, you know, I mean, that happens at times. Um, It could be related. You know, we also just want to obviously look at him as a whole child. So is this necessarily exactly related to that? It probably is in some way that it could mean he has some anxiety. A lot of kids wake up in the middle of the night at his age. He's not the only one. So he could have more anxiety and feel you know he's more sensitive to things as I was saying before so he might wake up so in that way it's related but it doesn't mean you know this sleep issue is it's like they're causing one or the other but they might both be part of who he is which is someone who might be a little bit more anxious um, or on the anxious side of things or on the spectrum
2: okay so to relieve that anxiety again what you said like showing our try to make a strong person don't like Show in our behavior that he can say no and stuff like that. But yeah, is that that something that increases the
1: uh, the anxiety? In in a way, and it's not even that we have to build a strong personality. In a way, it's almost like we have to let it come out by showing it's okay. So Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to make him strong by saying, you know, be strong in this way or show him how to be. We show him that what he is is okay and can be strong and lovable and all the good things. And so he can show that and be strong in his way. You know, sometimes we have um, an image of what a strong personality is. For example, they should be very talkative or walk into a room and go say hi to everyone. Or usually it's extroverted type of qualities that we often might think of. I'm not saying this is your mindset, but I hear this from people that a strong personality should be those ways. He might not be that way. And that can be okay. We want him to be the strongest version of himself. Rather than some image of what we think a strong person is, and so that's something I want you to be aware of. Also, that when you're seeing him develop, you're like, oh he's being quiet, so he's not strong. Not necessarily. Um, I'm not going to label your son as an introvert yet, but there's this book called um, Quiet by Susan Cain, The Power of Introverts, and I think she does a great job in that book showing that we have this mindset that extroverts are stronger or better when there's a lot of good that comes from introverts and at the end of the day we want to let people be who they are and people are different in different ways so um i want you to also be aware of that when you say strong personality that we sometimes have some assumptions of what it means to be strong which might not necessarily be the case we want him to be the strongest version of himself
2: right right so like the other day he got i don't know why he got angry but uh, Um, like he he has a little guitar that he plays with so I played a little bit and then gave it to him and maybe he couldn't hold it properly or something he Mm -hmm. hit it to the ground very hard what should I do Mm -hmm. in a case like that to help him should I what should I do? Yeah, well, we, we want to
1: help it? him. Now, maybe he just saw you hold it and then he couldn't hold it, you know, so that added maybe, to what he maybe, was feeling. Maybe. Um, feeling maybe,
2: maybe. Yeah,
1: it might. we don't know. I, I don't, and we don't know exactly. And, of course, we can try to understand, like I said, you know, you said before about asking him why, which isn't necessarily bad. We want to be very careful with the word why or when we're asking why. It could be either to judge or in a judging way or in an I want to understand better. So, you know, if someone says, I want to be, Um, uh, You know, a a doctor when I grow up. Oh, we we can say, oh, I want to know why I want to understand. Or we can say, why? Why would you want to do that in a judging way? So when we try to understand his feelings and asking him why, I want you to be very aware of not making him feel judged, but make sure you're trying to understand him better and it's okay that he's feeling that way. But I would reflect that to him. Oh, it seems like you, oh, did you get frustrated? You couldn't hold it. Um, Maybe, oh, maybe I can help you, you know? So we wanna, uh, as always, we empathize first and try to help our child uh, understand their own feelings. He doesn't really get it. He just feels something strong and reacts but we verbalize, oh, it seems like you got frustrated. It seems, oh, you couldn't hold it. Maybe daddy can help you hold the the guitar this time or what do you want to do, asking him. Um, So I would always try to talk to him about his feelings in a calm way to show him what he's feeling is okay, what he's feeling we understand. Now, it doesn't mean that whatever he does, we says is okay. So if he starts breaking everything, we won't tell him that's really good, break everything. But we can talk about the feelings oh it seems like you got angry or you know you got frustrated or you got so upset that you couldn't you know hold the guitar or do something so i would reflect and talk to him about his feelings um and let him know even as adults we still sometimes break stuff or i was talking about it in the first segment about how we you know we we hit things when we get upset because we get frustrated so it's not something i would say that's something really bad that he did that and we want to make sure we don't give him that feeling that he did something bad
2: Thank you, and um, I think the last thing probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, so, so the things like when, like when he wakes up, for example, in the morning, we all wash our faces and hands, and he never did that before. So now we are asking, it's better that we wash our hands and face. So if he says no, I don't want to do it, so we say it's okay, don't do it, or should we encourage him, or what should we do? Like, yeah. know, th- because if, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he da- doesn't do it from now, he he might build up and in the future he becomes a person who or like brushing teeth or stuff like that should we how should we make him do that should be if it says no say respect and say okay don't wash don't brush or
1: mm-hmm. what, what well you the, yeah these things are, are tough and they these are the challenges you know we we deal with even with ourselves getting ourselves to do what we think is good or right is already hard enough trying to help someone else do that especially a kid it, it is tough so we have to accept that and it's not a black and white that We just let him do whatever he wants completely and i know i was telling you to encourage him so i don't want to sound like i'm contradicting but we can have a conversation with him first we even talk about why do we do these things you know you know we like to wash our face or we brush our teeth because we feel clean it keeps them healthy and so we we don't just make it into a thing you have to do because we you know you know almost it comes off as as a punishment and you know that we have to do these things we don't like but that we do these things that sometimes you know it's not so fun or And we could try to make it fun, but we might not want to do because it's good for us. So I don't want to say that if he says, I don't want to do it, don't even say anything. Uh, You can have a conversation with him about it. It's like, oh, you're not in the mood to do it today, or you don't feel good. And then see what he says. So it's more of a conversation than just focusing on, did he do it or not? Um, And, you know, we we all are this way. We're so focused on like specific results. And I get the sense from talking to you, um, my feeling has been a slight anxiety there. In general that you might have and of course that means your son could have it as well and so you could get more focus on these things of did we get it done or not where it's not so important if he washes his face today or he doesn't wash his face today or brush his teeth one time it's not the biggest part but it's having that conversation with him about what's going on okay so oh you didn't want to do it today I know sometimes it's not fun maybe I can help you like so you know you have a conversation you support him so it's not just um, Either he does it or he doesn't do it. This is different, but it reminds me if I work with parents who have kids who have social anxiety, and before corona, let's say, there would be birthday parties and the kid would get nervous because they have social anxiety but the parent would say well you know but I see them go to the party and after they get over that nervousness they have so much fun but then the next week it's another birthday party and the same thing happens again and so it's not that we just tell the kid okay you are having anxiety stay home but we also don't say no you have to go you have no choice but we support them to do the thing that we know is going to be good for them and even they'll feel good about Um, so we kinda talk about oh well I know you're nervous but do you remember last week when you went and I know you were nervous that time too, but then it seemed like you had so much fun and we start to see if we can help them and how do we support them? Can we come up with a routine that helps them? So in a similar way, Um, When it comes to what he's dealing with with these things, I don't want you to just focus on does he do it or not, but turn it into a conversation with him and see how you can support him in doing those good things. First by talking about why we do them anyway and like this is why we do it, it feels good and mommy does it, daddy does it, this is why we do it. And then if that something comes up and he doesn't want to do it, that we actually try to support him. Um, in getting it done, but we make it more of a conversation than just focusing on the end result of did he brush his teeth or not.
2: Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Uh, I, my wife wants to ask another question. I don't, do we have time or no? We, if you make it do quick, yeah,
1: because I want to, yeah, but sure. the, go ahead.
2: Sure. So um, another thing is that like when he's playing with a friend of his, another another kid comes around, um, like he has a few friends that, they normally go and play with the other kid as well, but he doesn't go. He feels shy, so he mm-hmm. stays away, and he feels bad. Like feel, yeah, yeah, he lonely. He doesn't go. He doesn't go play with the other kid, and so his friend goes away too to play uh-huh. with the other kid, and he stays there, and he feels bad, and he feels like a little bit, I, I don't know, sad or something. Mm. he's that?
1: Well, he, he might feel sad and we want to help him through that too. We can't, you know, again, it's not, uh, I'm feeling there's a sense of like, how do we get him to do certain things, which I understand, but that could also be related to some anxiety of trying to control the situation. We don't like seeing our son being sad because the other friend went, We, which our friend, our son would be going to, or he's the one that initiates, which I can understand. But again, we don't want to make him feel bad for being the way he is. He might be more quiet. He might be more introverted. Being an only child, he also doesn't have as much interaction with kids that maybe other kids are going to have. So we notice it, but we're not going to try to tell him what he's doing is bad, that he shouldn't. He should go play. Why is he sitting there? That's definitely not what we want to do is make him feel bad about it. If it comes up, we can, you know, if he's able to talk about it, then we can have a conversation. Oh, what happened? He says, oh, I got sad that, you know. Uh, Timmy went away and played with the other boy, and I was sitting there alone. I was like, oh, at first we stay with the feeling. I I can see that made you sad. You didn't like it. Um, You wanted to play with him, and he went away. And he's like, yeah. So you stay with him a while. Then you might be able to explore, well, what do you want to do? Like, what what would you want to do next time? And he might say, I don't know. Maybe I'll go with him or something. But we help him explore how to deal with that situation. But there's nothing we're just going to tell him that then tomorrow he's going to feel so confident and go – do whatever you know he wants to do and go play with other kids and not be afraid he might have some of this anxiety we're not gonna talk it out of him or you know squeeze it out of him by just saying something or doing something quickly we want to make him feel more comfortable some kids are a little more shy they're slow to warm up or they don't they have a harder time initiating we want to make him more and more comfortable but you know i don't want it to get into this place where we have to try to change what he's doing it's probably not going to happen so we talk to him we see what's going on, but don't expect him to change. What you also want to be aware of, I don't know, you know, I do want to wrap things up, but you and your wife, the ways you are, you might see some of yourself in him. So if you are a shy kid, you see him being shy and you remember it didn't feel good to be shy. So then you almost want to get it out of him. No, 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 don't be shy. Don't be that way. And we put a pressure on him to change because of not feeling okay about ourselves and seeing that in him. Um, And so if you and your wife also might have some of these traits that he might have, you might notice that happening as well so uh, something i felt from our conversation of course you care about your child you want him to be happy now and also to help him grow and become the best version of himself and to feel good about himself but we have to be careful to try not to control things too much because usually that backfires rather than helps him in the long run
2: okay thank you very much sure
1: i appreciate it thanks for calling wish you the best take care
2: Thank
1: you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In this segment, I wanted to talk about telling the truth, which uh, obviously always sounds like the right thing to do. But I wanted to talk about an aspect of how people will justify what they're saying by saying it's true. So, sometimes someone will say something mean or they'll say something uh, harsh or they'll randomly say something. I'll say, well, what? It's true. And I think this is a very poor excuse and justification for saying something. So I'm definitely not a legal scholar or a lawyer, but I've heard when there's some things called necessary, but not sufficient, meaning that you need that, but it doesn't mean it's enough to say that something is Uh, like let's say true or uh, qualifies as something, when you say it's necessary, but not sufficient, that's how I think we should look at truth. You definitely shouldn't say things that are not true or lie. So I'm not obviously going to advocate for that. So saying something true, that should be a necessary thing of anything you're going to say, but we shouldn't think that's enough to just say something because it is true. So you might say something mean to your partner or mean to someone and then say, well, it's true. Yes, it's you need to make sure what you're going to say is true, but that's not enough because essentially infinite number of things are true at any moment. I could say it's Wednesday. I'm sitting in this room. I have headphones on. I'm wearing my watch. This table is red. And that's just things I'm looking at around me. If I'm saying about past and future and all things, there's infinite types of things or numbers of things I could say. But what we're looking at is I'm choosing to say something and it reminds me of the quote. I don't know if it's from Socrates, but essentially that, you know, there are a few steps of like looking at what you're going to say. But um, one of the parts you have to look at is, am I adding something to the silence by saying what I'm saying? You don't have to say something obviously at any given time, but again, just saying because it's true, you have to say, well, is it something I should be saying? So like I said, I work with couples and sometimes they'll say something to the other person in a hurtful way and then say it's true. And so this also comes to this point of where people will talk about, um, they'll say it in a uh, bad way of F your feelings or your feelings don't matter when they absolutely do. Uh, They even will say this, well, facts don't care about feelings. And that's true that we shouldn't hide the truth. Or if you're doing research on something, we shouldn't. Uh, hide the, the knowledge that is being gained because maybe someone won't feel good about it. And that at times does happen. I'm definitely not advocating for that. But people also take this to mean that if I say something and it's true, it doesn't matter how someone feels about it because I'm saying something true. So first, choosing to say something itself is a choice. But then how we say things is important and something we should care about, especially if you're talking to someone um, you love, or or even if you're making a statement in general in public, you, you should be thinking about how people feel about it. Again, not to hide your message, not to take away from your message, but to say that you don't care, that doesn't mean that what you're saying is okay. So if you're talking to your partner, you might not like something they did, but there's a whole range of ways you can bring that up that will, first of all, have a big impact on how that conversation is going to go, but also if you care about your partner, you'll be mindful of how they're going to feel about what you're saying. And a little caveat here, uh, I'm not saying that if someone doesn't like something, you shouldn't bring it up or say it, because one of the things I try to advocate on this show is to encourage people to have difficult conversations uncomfortable conversations. So you're in a relationship and you're feeling sad about something your partner keeps doing. I'm definitely not saying, well, you have to care about their feelings, so don't bring it up. Almost the opposite. You need to bring it up, even if you know they won't like it. What I'm saying is how you bring it up is going to be very important. The words you choose to use are very important. So uh, I want people to think about even their own relationships, even friendships, but especially in your romantic relationships and your more close relationships, almost always there are these unhad conversations that need to be had. There has been things that have been unspoken or not talked about that need to be talked about in order to prevent the relationship from becoming unhealthy and damaged and even leading to its end or also to make the relationship better and stronger. So I've worked with couples and they sometimes have, using a Persian term, a tarofi type of a dynamic. So by tarofi means kind of overly polite type of a dynamic. And by this, I mean that they don't want to ever do something or say something that might bother the other person. So, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. No, this is okay. Everything's okay. Nothing is not okay. Everything is fine. And so this is where we choose uh, avoiding conflict and a level of what feels like peace over closeness and so if you avoid conflict you avoid closeness you can't have a close relationship if you are avoiding conflict doesn't mean you need to fight all the time of course not but if you are avoiding conflict you are avoiding closeness and there's only a certain level of intimacy you can develop in that relationship so i want to at the same time that i'm saying be mindful and don't just say anything because it's true i also don't think it's contradictory to say you need to have conversations that are at times uncomfortable because there the intention is different you're having the conversation because you think it's important to have even if it doesn't feel good you go to the doctor and they do some kind of a um, maybe I don't know why this came to my mind a colonoscopy doesn't feel good but it's to get some information that's very helpful to potentially even save your life So that's why you're doing it. So, um, you know, not to compare uh, conversations to colonoscopies, but sometimes they can feel as uncomfortable for people and they avoid them the same way they might avoid going to the doctor because it feels uncomfortable. We don't know what's going to happen. We're afraid the other person gets upset. We're afraid, you know, it turns into a bigger fight. We're actually oftentimes we avoid conflict because we're afraid of losing the person through conflict when actually we might... Lose the relationship because we avoid conflict. Oftentimes, couples don't talk about things and the problems and the issues don't go away. They just fester and build up and get worse and cause more damage and more distance and more space because if you're not talking about something, you feel less close. If it's some kind of a feeling, it might grow. You might become more resentful. So, paradoxically, our avoidance of conflict, which we might have done because we thought it would preserve the relationship might actually sadly lead to the end of that relationship. So again, I'm a very much a big advocate of having the important, uncomfortable, and difficult conversations because those are necessary to build and maintain a healthy relationship. But coming back to this issue of truth being necessary but not sufficient, people use this in a similar way that I hear people say, well, it's actually legal. And you know that when someone tells you That the thing they are doing and they say it in that way, actually, it's legal what I'm doing. You know, that means they're doing something that they even realize is kind of wrong or seems bad, but somehow there's some loophole that legally it's not considered wrong or you can't be held accountable or, uh, you know, can't be criminally or civilly, you know, prosecuted or affected in some way. And they're saying, actually, it's legal. So the same thing when people say, well, it's true, it has that same feeling. You know, you could walk up to someone and say, you have a big nose. Might be true, but does that mean that was right for you to say it? It's true, but not necessarily that's sufficient enough to make that comment. And so you always are responsible to ask yourself out of all the things that are true. Why did I say this thing? So again, don't say true is enough because I work with families, couples where they'll say something really mean and I'll say, well, it's true. So you can't be upset with me. And that's absolutely not the case. Something is true; it can be important to bring up, but how you bring it up is part of your responsibility. So, if I'm upset with someone, I can't just say, um, "You know, you did this," and and say, "Let's say, say it at a bad time." Maybe I'll say it in front of other people and say, "Well, it's true," and I'm bringing it up at a dinner party with your boss and other people. But it's true, so how could you be upset? Of course not. The timing also matters, along with how we say certain things. So this is another way of evaluating what we say that at any moment, why do I even wanna say this thing? That's something you should be asking yourself. Yes, it's true, but why am I choosing this true thing in this moment? And that actually might tell you something important. You know, maybe I'm angry with my partner. So I wanna say this thing that I know will hurt their feelings because I'm angry. And if we can have that awareness, then we could stop ourselves and say, well, instead of saying this hurtful comment, why don't I actually talk about what I'm actually angry about or talk about that feeling in a way of owning my feelings, um, using some of the cliche things of I statements or sharing what your experience is, rather than saying something mean and using the guise that it's a true statement so they can't be upset. But really, you're just trying to get a jab in more than anything else. So always ask yourself, why did I say that? I want to kind of understand that. And I mentioned with the previous caller about why, how it could come off as either judgmental or coming from a place of understanding. And we want to have that same experience with ourselves. We always want to be asking why, looking at the intention of what we're doing. People very often get fooled. Well, someone did something nice, so that's good. Well, what's the intention? Are you getting someone a gift so that they do something for you and? Return as a favor or to use them down the line, or are you getting them a gift because you genuinely care about them and want to give them something and hope they enjoy it and experience that in a positive way. That's a very different intention. So, we always want to be evaluating and examining and re examining ourselves to better understand what's driving our behavior and whatever it is that we're doing. But especially when it comes to what we are saying, we want to be aware of that. And as I was saying before, the idea that well your feelings don't facts don't care about your feelings and, and i agree with part of that sentiment the part i don't like is when people think well you can then say something however you want and you don't have to care about how other people are feeling as a result yes you're not completely responsible for how someone feels based on you say what you say i might say good morning i hope you have a nice day and someone says you know when you said good morning. I hope you have a nice day. I thought really you meant you hope I have a horrible day and it ruined my whole day and I felt so mad and angry at you. To me, that would be a pretty much an unreasonable place for them to go. And I couldn't feel responsible that that's how I made them feel. Now, if it's my loved one, I might ask them more if we have continued interactions of what happened. Is there something else going on? Maybe I did something before that hurt them and now they think I'm upset with them so I can ask more questions, but I wouldn't be responsible for that. But I am responsible if I say something in a way that's harsh, that it might hurt their feelings. And I can't say it doesn't matter because it's true. And that's your feelings. Our feelings, of course, have to be taken into account or other people's feelings have to be taken into account. We don't hide our truth, but based on what we choose to say and how we say it, we want to be aware of that and mindful of how We are communicating with one another. So I've seen this play out with a lot of partners. Well, in therapy, they'll share this and I have to remind them not to just focus on the part that it's true. Why did you say what you said and to not think it's okay, just because it's true to say something it's necessary, but not sufficient out of all the range of things I can say, what am I choosing to say and why? Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
3: Hello.
1: Yes. Hi. Thanks for calling. Hi.
3: Uh, thank you for answering. <laughs> uh, I have a question regarding to my. 18 month year old daughter, uh, she uh, always, I can say, especially when she wants to sleep or whenever she wants to have a pacemaker, she brings b- a bunch of hair, hair hair, and uh, put it uh, along with the pacemaker in her
1: Sorry, mouth, when you say pace, do you mean pacifier? Uh,
3: yeah, uh, yes, I think
1: so. <laughs> okay, like pacifier. Pestunac. Sorry. sorry. Pestunac, yeah. The
3: pacemaker is for the
1: heart. Yes. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that's what you meant the first time, but I wanted to clarify. Okay, so with the pacifier, you're saying she puts the hair also in her mouth? Uh,
3: before her hair was so short, she was grabbing my hair and puts a bunch of my hair in her mouth into her mouth. Hmm. And now her and I was removing it all the time and even she was going to uh, her father and uh, Wanted to bite the head for having her his hair Hmm. and uh, Now her own hair is uh, long enough. So whenever she has the pacifier She brings the hair also and put together with the pacifier in her mouth And no matter how many times we remove it. She does it again and again Hmm. And I want to know the reason
1: yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, it's something we can look at more, what's, what's going on. She doesn't actually, does she actually chew on the hair, or yes. uh, does yes. she ever swallow the hair? No, no, she doesn't swallow the hair, she chews. Okay, is there anything she else that them. she does? How is her eating in general, or are there other things that she bites or eats that are kind of uncommon? I mean, kids her age put a lot of things in their mouth, so that's... Itself not that uncommon, but is there anything else that she does with her food or eating that concerns you?
3: No Nothing special.
1: Okay, so that's the only thing is the the hair um, that she does
3: Yes, and, okay. and even sometimes when she ha- doesn't have the pacifier she do it only with the hair
1: Yeah, so it, it there could be a way that it's comforting for her um I'm not sure why. Sometimes kids do this at her age, it's, so I don't want you to get too concerned yet. There's something called pika where children will eat things that are not food, but it seems like you're saying she's not eating it. She just kind of chews on it.
2: I also
3: felt that maybe she's comforting herself yeah. like this, but comforting from
2: what?
1: Well, I mean, life, I mean, we all want, I, I have to comfort myself sometimes too. So especially babies and kids, they're always comforting uh, themselves. That's what a pacifier, you know, in English, you know, pestunak has a different name uh, and it involves the more, I guess, the nipple in a way, but pacifier t- means to make someone calm. So what a pacifier is doing is calming the baby that they suck on the pacifier and it makes them feel like they're connected to the mom in a way. And so it calming them. So we're we're always trying to calm ourselves. It's one of the things we have to do throughout our day is sometimes we get overwhelmed. We take a break. We go for a walk, even as adults, but especially babies are always trying to um, calm themselves. You know, you might think, well, what is she calming herself from? She doesn't have to, you know, it's not that she's worried about paying taxes or the bills or something like that, but just from a physical standpoint and dealing with their life every day, kids and and babies they're learning to soothe themselves and um, from birth they can't do it at all on their own and we are doing it 100% holding them feeding them changing them um, you know giving them that comfort in different ways even like swaddling them is giving them a physical feeling as they get older they start to do it themselves even when a kid can start to suck on their own thumb um, that is a sense that they can start to soothe themselves, right? Even if nothing else or no one else is there, they can suck on their thumb to try to calm themselves down. They don't really know what they're doing, but they just do it in, a, in an unconscious way. Really, we can say almost everything they're doing is kind of unconscious. It doesn't have a clear intention. Not that we know exactly what a baby is thinking, but it does appear to be what's going on. So babies are always trying to calm, calm themselves. Uh, that's Okay, And actually we're trying to teach them how to do that more and more on their own as they get older. But of course we wanted them to do it in a way that doesn't have some other negative effects. Um, I can see how the chewing the hair makes you feel a little uncomfortable. So it seems like it's a comforting type of a thing. When she would fall asleep, you're saying she would do this? Like when she was younger, do you remember her playing with your hair or your husband's hair when she was falling asleep?
3: Yes, exactly. And now, even now, when she has um, the pacifier, she first put the hair in, and then pacifier on top of it, <laughs> and uh, sucks them both.
1: Uh huh. And then, so you then take the hair out,
3: and she brings it in again.
1: Again. Okay. So now I wouldn't fight her too strong on it. You know, we do want to help her do this, probably less over time, but I, I wouldn't want you to make it a big battle or war over her and stop so you might gently do it or see how she responds or see if you can help her calm down but we don't want to get too much into a battle with her that we make her feel bad or feel like she's going to have to do it in a secret type of a way or she has to hide it from you or anything like that have you talked to her pediatrician at all about this uh,
3: no not about this to be honest i forgot we were there yesterday but i forgot to talk about this to them Okay. But, uh, but her um, aunt, uh-huh. she also uh, was doing this until maybe she was uh, five, six something. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, until one neighbor saw her and said to her, if you do this, you will have arsenic from your hair into your mouth. Okay. Arsenic poison. Yeah. And she didn't know what arsenic poison is, but she got too scared that she stopped doing that. Yeah. So I mean, what I'm saying is that... Uh, the, Her aunt also had this habit when
1: she was a kid. And we could talk more about the family um, issues, including you and her father and things like that, of what the history might be that might affect her in different ways, not just about this. But I hope you don't think what that neighbor did in any way was a good way of dealing with this issue.
3: No, it was a very bad <laughs> thing. He, yes. The neighbor did, I
1: think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, this is a classic thing that we do even with ourselves, but especially with our kids. Parents, I'll talk to them and they'll say, well, this works. Uh, I scared my kid and he studied for his test. I scared my kid and he put his shoes on. Um, so it works. And we use works to mean just in that moment to get a specific desired behavior to happen. Oh, the shoes are on, we're walking out of the home, it worked. But we have to look at the bigger picture of how we're affecting our child, how they feel about themselves, how they feel about us, if you're the one saying the hurtful thing or scaring them, damaging that relationship, all these negative things that come along with it. So that neighbor probably thought they were helping your, uh, you're saying it's your aunt or the baby's aunt? Baby's aunt. the baby. the the neighbor probably thought they were helping the husband's sister. yeah, the 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 um neighbor probably thought they were helping in the way that, you know, kind of we often think is going to help the kid to get them to stop. But it was in a very hurtful way, and it was not helping. So uh, I just make that point because very often parents will tell me about something that works because it gets something in the moment to happen. But we're missing the point of the big picture. You know, it's like saying I want to lose weight, so I cut off my arm and stepped on the scale. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, you you got you know you got the your weight to get down, but in a very unhealthy way. So um, when we're looking at wh- how she's acting, I, I did want to get an idea about the family. You mentioned her aunt um, has, and and probably this is related to anxiety in some way. So she might be more wanting to calm. But all kids again are trying to calm themselves. How would you describe yourself and and her father when it comes to how calm you are, how you feel in general, any mental health issues in the family?
3: Well, I'm not calm at all, at least <laughs> naturally, I can say, because I'm diagnosed by generalized anxiety disorder and OCD,
0: mm-hmm. and,
3: uh, and I have to take um for the rest of my life.
2: So, hmm.
3: And high dose, it is like 175 milligrams a day. Mm-hmm. So this is my story about anxiety. So even if when I was pregnant, I was taking a sertraline. Uh-huh. Um
1: so this is you know something, you know, when you ask me what is my child calming themselves from, you know, you probably aren't feeling so calm also, and she's gonna feel that. It's gonna affect your child, and we have to be aware of that. Not that I'm saying, you know, you're trying to deal with it on your own, of course, which is good, but um, of course, that's gonna affect your child. So genetically, she already will have that from you, but then also environment-wise and how she feels, how calm you are, and this is, I always encourage parents, uh, you know, we're trying to help her, of course, so one of the best ways you're going to help her is by taking care of yourself. The lower your anxiety is, the more calm. I already
3: did, to be honest. Okay. Uh, I have been to 27 uh, CBT sessions and uh, also therapy sessions, Great. and uh, still I can be in contact whenever I need. And I'm taking my medications also. So I did whatever was possible That's for my wonderful. anxiety.
1: That's wonderful. Uh,
3: Thank you, and and uh, the environment of our home is quite good. Okay, I don't think if I'm not saying it's perfect, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think if it's so, so. No, it's quite okay. I think. Okay, but. Yeah. eh. And
1: I'm not saying that it isn't necessarily. um, And even I also want to be careful that we don't say that what your daughter is doing is something so bad necessarily that we're trying to find, well, what's so wrong about your home? Maybe, you know, nothing and what she's doing isn't such a big deal. You know, even looking at her aunt um i I don't know you know she's not still eating her hair so she's probably okay we don't want to make that such a concern that she has to stop the behavior quickly it could mean she's a little more anxious other kids do stuff like this they'll You know, they play with their parents' ear or they do certain things that to try to help them calm down, and it becomes a habit and they get used to it. And it's hard to break those habits right now. She kind of associates sleeping with putting her hair in her mouth or having hair in her mouth, and so it can almost feel like she can't sleep until that happens, but it can change over time. And since it seems like she's not eating it, like trying to actually swallow it or do something like that, that makes me a little less concerned. But I would definitely talk to her pediatrician about it too to see if. Um, he or she has any thoughts on that uh, from the, that side, too. yeah.
3: Uh, about, um, I don't think if she's eating it she eats it, but um, several times, not all the time. i I must say before, like some months ago, I found um, I found uh, hair in in her diaper.
1: Hmm. so,
3: so uh,
1: now are you sure it's from? she like ate it or my hair (laughs) it was your hair okay yes now do you know that it was actually she ate it or it was somehow just got into her clothes or no
3: no it was in her um
1: yeah okay so yeah i mean yeah it
3: happened several times but not every time and all the time and not recently either
1: okay and even from what you were describing it doesn't seem like She's trying to eat it, but if she has it in her mouth, of course, some of it will end up in, you know, she might end up swallowing it or she might have it in if her mouth. she mu-
3: even finds hair on the floor, she grabs it and puts it in her mouth. And if she, see, uh, she sees that I'm coming to get it, uh, she laughs and do it very fast.
1: Yeah. And so this is where, you know, I'm not exactly sure what's it seems like there is a preoccupation with the hair, but that this is why I want us to be careful. It's tough because it's not that we want her to swallow hair and eat the hair and not do anything. But if we turn it into this thing of you're not allowed to have it and I'm going to take it away from you, it could almost encourage her to want to do it more and sneak to try to see how can I get the hair in my mouth and make sure I do it when mommy's not looking. So we want to be... A, careful about it to not turn this into a big deal. It's kind of like, it's different, but like when kids bite their nails and the parents get really angry. And so now they they bite their nails when they're not looking and it creates even more stress. So we don't want to make it too big of a deal is something I would recommend to not make it like, we need to get this to stop immediately. She needs to stop. It, it, it's. I can see how it's. you don't like it if she's picking up the hair off the ground and things like that. I totally can get that. But we don't want to make her feel really bad about what she's doing and to turn this into like a power struggle between you and her that you're checking to see when is she doing it? Is she doing it? The more we build this up, probably the bigger you will make the issue. So I wouldn't, you know, slowly we would, you know, when she's getting the pacifier, you can hold her, Um, you know, you might take the hair out gently, you know, not in a forceful way. She might put it back in. We don't want to make it too big of a issue, but likely over time, this will go away and if it doesn't then you will pay attention to it but if you make it a bigger deal you might create a bigger problem where it becomes more about hiding things and mommy doesn't like me when i do this or you know maybe she'll do it to get attention from you even in some way so it becomes a, an issue to fight about rather than just dealing with the issue itself yeah
3: and the, uh, can i ask another question also? of
1: course yes um uh,
3: before when she was younger uh, sometimes when I was super tired or just wanted to have a pause, uh, I put some cartoons and, uh, for her and she was watching. Mm-hmm. And now she loves cartoons. She got used to them. Every day, even when she wakes up, she, she brings remote control to me and uh, show the TV and uh, runs cartoons. And I want to know that uh, now she's 18 months. Is it okay for her to watch cartoons? She does. Uh, of course she does. But
1: Yeah. Um, well, but should yeah. I prevent her or, or it's okay? Well, it'll be tough. I mean, we want to, you know, I would definitely say less is more. You know, it's kind of like junk food. So um, it's not that they can never have it or should have none. You know, even it could have effects on their eyes and how their brains develop, their attention span. L- lots of things can get affected by this. Um and so it's tough to stop it. It is it is like junk food also that once they get used to it, it's hard to then give them healthy foods because they're looking for that. So now she's wants that stimulation she gets from the cartoons and the colors and the movement and all of that. And, and it's hard to keep her entertained or engaged without that. And it becomes a habit. So I would say we can try to make it less and also realize it's not her fault that she likes to watch cartoons and it's not about even My fault. fault. <laughs> well, I don't want to even make it about blame, but yes, I mean, obviously it's our responsibility. What we show her, just like if you keep giving your kid Coke and they keep saying they want Coke instead of water, we can't be mad because we know they're going to get hooked on having Coke over water if we give it to them too much or, you know, expose them to that. So yeah, it is, you know, our, so we don't want to get mad at her. Oh, she wants to watch cartoons again. We understand Um, I would say try to make it less, which means try to play with her in a way that's exciting and engaging. It it also, again, could Mm -hmm. be like a habit, like you're saying she wakes up and she now expects that just like she likes the hair in her mouth. um, You know, so she gets used to these types of things. I I would say try to make it less. And this is why we want to be aware of, you know, we think, oh, what's the harm? She's going to watch one time, but then it turns into uh, its own issue so I would I would say try to make it less because I just don't think it's good but not what's too much force or making her feel really bad and it probably means you'll have to keep her engaged or excited in other ways so start to play with her in a way that she likes or really play with her not just here's a toy but get involved with her that it actually um, makes it more interesting and exciting and that kind of play is actually better for her too when she's engaged with you looking at you sharing it with you see if you can have more of that and try to make the tv a little bit less i mean obviously i know you know that but i don't want you to try to make it okay we have to shut it off completely and never let her see it again either it's probably going to be a process oh
3: okay okay so thank you so much for
1: nice talking to you good luck take care
3: Thank you. Have a nice time. Bye bye. You
1: too. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
0: Is that me? Yes.
1: Yes. Thanks for calling.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah. My question is uh, about my daughter. She's 21 years old and Mm -hmm. uh, she's a kind of very, uh, uh, very stubborn and disordered her room is like disaster uh she's like the way that she lives i'm uh, is uh, is really boring me like she sleeps until noon and then she wakes up she looks at a little bit of her classes and then she plans with her friends go until like late night i have to call many times she comes home and she's of course the uh, at his school you know university mm-hmm. uh and um, I, I just wanted to get uh, some of your opinions to see to you know uh, to see how can i deal with uh this kind of situation and also my uh my husband never uh you know uh he was a kind of uh, very negative around Going to canceler, canceler, or Mm -hmm. cancelling, and she never. I tried really hard to uh, have her uh, with some cancelling programs, but unfortunately, I'm alone uh, on my own in the house, and so Mm -hmm. uh, I I need. Some opinions from sure. you to see okay how can i help this young uh, yeah when
1: you, lady. sure when you said at the end you feel very alone you mean in the sense of getting her to go to therapy you feel very alone yes okay yes um yeah and of course therapy is a very personal thing the person even if they're a kid they have to want to go or a teenager but at her age um it has to be something she wants and of course that is affected by the messages they get from their parents too. But at the end of the day, it's only if she would want to go that she can go. Um, you know, at any age, we can only have so much of an effect on someone, but especially at her age, we have to also be aware, we're not going to control her to change her life. If we want to change not we can't even want to change her life, she has to want to, all we can do is support her in in changing if she wants to make any changes. So how much does she tell you about how she's doing that if she's happy or sad or okay do you have a close relationship with her where she shares about her life with you
0: Uh, I have to always ask her questions, and she gives me very short response Mm -hmm. response every time she doesn't uh, you know open up with me about anything okay I I have to ask her, and most of the time I get yelled at. Why you're asking this question? Why you're? Uh, what do you want? You know, from me or why you're asking about my friend? Uh, of course, I try to to be very, uh, you know, to not be uh, dead ended. You know, the questions try to. Uh, uh, not be very controlling, uh, questions, but, uh, she gets mad. She doesn't like me bring up any questions.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I know you're saying you're trying not to ask controlling questions, but it seems like she feels like you're trying to control her. So her
2: experience, and that's exactly what she's feeling. Right.
1: And so that's, what's more important. Obviously it's good that you, you should try not to be, but if she's telling you she feels controlled um that's important and you know this goes back to what i was saying before about when we're trying to ask why or under you know ask more questions are we asking just because we really want to understand or is it in this case you're worried and you want to maybe change something if it's not okay and you're hoping she's going to make a change yeah and so i'm
0: I'm worried because some friends i have seen uh, they have been in smoking habits and I have seen my daughter. I have found some kind of related smoking uh, things in her uh, bag and uh, backpack.
1: So are you so looking? It makes me. Are you looking through her backpack? Uh, yes. Okay. Why are you doing that? I, I did. <laughs> you know, thank I just caught myself. Me. I asked you. I asked you why in the same way I say you shouldn't ask why. But um, so you're looking through her stuff as as, an, as she's an adult.
0: Uh, yeah, when she was in uh, high school, she had friends that mm-hmm. they were uh, using marijuana, and uh, by accident, uh, I went to her room to grab something, and I smelled, I felt like some kind of uh, strange smell, and I looked at her backpack, I felt like it's warm, and I found something uh, I don't know even the name of the device. Like, uh, uh-huh. the, the device that uh, looks like they use it for uh, drug and stuff, you know. But she is not in anything right now, you know, after this was like uh, when she was 17, uh, 16. Okay. And uh, uh, I, I try to watch the way that she doesn't feel I'm watching her stuff.
1: Yeah, and, but that's still. Uh, I, I mean,
0: so she's like that, and it still makes me. I find that my heart always, uh, a kind of too, uh, too worried. You know, my heart is always like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like a kind of want to stop. Uh, what is she doing? What is she using? You know.
1: But you know, like so. This
0: kind of, but. But you're gonna have to
1: accept that you can't. And that maybe she's even okay. I mean, I don't know how she is, but you might have certain ideas about, um, uh, uh, you know, certain substances that I'm not saying they're necessarily good. But, for example, um, I know with a lot of the Persian families I work with, marijuana is this like the worst thing in the world. But they drink alcohol all the time and they serve alcohol and alcohol might even be worse for us in some ways, especially physically than uh, you know, mm-hmm. marijuana. So it, it's, we have to be aware of that we sometimes have these judgments or values on things that don't necessarily mean it's completely true, but it's a feeling. And from what I'm already gathering from you, you know, there is a lot of controlling and you being in her space and trying to not let her know that you're in her space, but she's feeling it. She feels like you're too involved or trying to get too involved and control her. And unfortunately, when you do that, she's probably going to tell you less and less about her life because she knows that if I share something with my mom, first of all, she's likely to judge it. And then two, she's going to try to change it and make the decision for me. So I'm not going to tell her. So I do want you to be aware that, I can feel your anxiety and even you said it yourself, you're so worried about her, but if anything, you're just going to push her away and so anxiety makes us want to try to control the person or the situation, but unfortunately what we do is we just push them away and even you're going to have a less of an impact and really more importantly less of a relationship with her if your job turns into Surveillance. I'm going to have to figure out what's going on and then trying to control her. Mm-hmm. You're actually going to get mm-hmm. less and less close to her over time.
0: Okay. And her room is very messy.
1: Like <laughs> but very look, but see what you just said. I, I know, I know, but see we what you just walk in the room. That's fine. You don't need to walk in her room. She needs to go in her room if she okay. wants to. But see, what you just said is, okay. I, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you exactly do what I was saying, but... You're saying, okay, but how do I control this part of her life, her room? I mean, you you have to let her. Maybe she, I don't know if she's okay. I don't know your daughter. Uh, Maybe she's depressed and her room is that way. Or maybe to you it's messy and she's okay with it. I don't really know what's going on. But I want you to see that if you play the role of I have to try to control her or tell her it's not right or change her, that's going to actually make you further away from her. She's not going to tell you, even if she's not. Right now, if she's not okay, she's probably not going to tell you. Because she knows Uh, that your reaction.
0: What kind of.
1: Whatever, okay.
0: I have to look uh, if she's not okay because she's not going to canceling or she doesn't want to talk to anyone about her life.
1: But maybe. Well, I'm sure she does. I'm sure she talks to people in her life like her friends, um, but she might not be telling you. But what I'm saying is the more you make her feel like you're going to judge or control what she's doing. The less she's going to tell you, and the less even impact you can have on her life. So, your feeling is, I have to somehow, you know, tell her what to do or convince her to do this or change this. But the more you do that, you're actually going to have less of an impact on her life and be less close to her. You know, the. Unfortunately, when we have a certain strategy, we just think, I have to do that strategy better. So if we feel like we have to control our kids to make them safe and good, we just think, okay, if it's not working, I have to just control better or control more rather than realizing we have to try to shift that mindset and dynamic and relationship of controlling them, especially as she's getting older. You know, she's 21. Um, Of course, it's your choice and your husband's choice if she's living there and figuring out those types of dynamics and whatever is going on there. But at the end of the day, if it's her room, it's her room. So I don't think she owes you to make her room look a certain way. Yes, if someone's room is really, really messy, we might worry, okay, are they okay? I'm not saying it means she's not okay. That I can understand that when you see what she's doing, but not that she has to do it for you um, and make you feel okay about it. So you're going to have to try to accept that you're going to have less and less of an impact on her life, which is tough because I get it. You might be worried about her, but from, from what I'm hearing from you, you might worry too much about her in general because there's definitely a sense of anxiety I'm getting from what you're saying parents obviously it brings out an anxious side of us anyway especially if you feel like her hus- your husband her father is not you know maybe doing enough you might think it's up to you but I think you might be taking on too much of a responsibility thinking you're supposed to make her life a certain way or turn her into something which is not you know your responsibility you can't do it you can't make her become something you have to just allow her to be herself, and you can be there with her and have a relationship with her. But your focus should be on your relationship with her, not on getting her to do something or not do something.
0: Uh, yeah. So my husband keep telling me leave her alone, and then
2: mm-hmm. if I
0: if I don't tell her, it's ten o'clock, you know, <laughs> p.m. Uh, uh, she won't come home. She, she stays... Well, you can uh, make you can make certain
1: boundaries what? of, you know, you can make certain rules with her that you make with her, emphasis on that, not just tell her this is your, uh, you know, 10 p.m. is not very late for a 21-year-old. Now, uh, you know, so, I mean, I don't know exactly what time you think is appropriate. You can have conversations with her, but even the way you're saying it, I understand this is unfortunately how we can feel when we're anxious. You feel that if I don't control things they're going to get out of control she's going to be out of control everything becomes bad and uh, you can have rules and boundaries that you make with her but you're going to have to try which is challenging in general but I think especially it's going to be for you to accept that more and more I have to let her live her life I'm not going to get her to do things okay so you remind her what time it is. She already knows. Her watch will tell her, or her phone will tell her, anytime she wants to know what time it is. But you want her home because you're worried about her being out. But maybe she's okay with it.
0: Yeah, based on what we planned, yeah, like you said, we, uh, I have had my boundaries with her, but, okay. uh, you know.
1: She She doesn't respect she them.
0: On, I have to yeah. her
1: well, it's not you're not really reminding her. I get what you're saying. And what can be a problem also for you is that you and your husband are not on the same page. So, you know, that's tough because you might say this is the rule, but if she doesn't accept it, you know, it's not really a rule because he doesn't accept it and you have to be aware of what are the consequences. You know, I do have to wrap up. We're out of time for today. And I know I made it seem like you need to just do less, which partially is true, but it is a challenging situation. But I hope you can recognize that you're not going to control her into becoming something good. And even that's not what you're supposed to do as a parent to begin with. You have to allow for her to become who she is and focus more on your your Relationship with her than trying to fix her into what you want her to be. But I do have to wrap up. I appreciate you calling. Maybe another time we could have a, a longer conversation yeah, I do about it. Conversation. Okay. Thank have you. a great day. Take care. All right. Big thank you to Ghazaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fayyir Lokwi. Have a wonderful day.